The pain of Christ is what led to our salvation. By his stripes, we're healed. So when we're in this context where we're dealing with pain that, that God allows in our lives, he doesn't waste that. We can waste it by not putting it at the feet of the cross and saying, God, whatever that is, I know you're gonna work through this for my good and for your glory. And that takes you know, a bit of insight to be able to get there and you don't get there right away. But I can tell you this, having unforgiveness towards God and man never ends well. That much we know. If God has called you to be a parent, then he has called you to something amazing and terrifying and messy and stressful and isolating. But I am here to tell you that you are not alone. I'm Summer Shepherd, and this is No Seriously, How Do I Do This? There are things that we are brought to and that we are brought through (laughs) that we didn't anticipate, or even if we anticipated them, we weren't fully prepared at the time. I honestly think that's parenthood in general. You may have wanted to be a, a mom your whole life, but now that you are, you find out you're pregnant, you're carrying this child, you're preparing for labor, now you got this newborn, and you realize, no, seriously, how do I do this? <laughs> I mean, this, come on. There's nobody who gets that child and is like, okay, I know exactly what I'm doing. But you learn, you know, God has grace. He equips us for what he calls us to do. I believe that. And for me, I had some practice. I was terrified with my first daughter. Honestly, I was, I was still terrified with my second and my third. <laughs> but the last, last time I was pregnant, I had twins. And one of those twins was a little boy. And now, as much practice as I may have had being a girl mom, this is brand new territory. And there's a lot to learn. Boys are different. They develop differently. They act differently. They need different things to an extent. And right now we are dealing with my husband deploying for over a year. <laughs> and so now, now I've got to learn and step it up in a whole new way. How to be a boy mom and how to do this by myself. And so where I can, I spend as much time with Soren as possible. Sometimes that even means inviting him into the studio while I'm working. You want to play with the microphone? Can you say hi? <laughs> you have so many sisters. You are going to have so much fun. Or you're going to be an absolute terror. It's going to be a learning experience for me. I'm willing to learn. I love you, my man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but there might be some listening right now. You find yourself parenting a little boy alone, and the circumstance is very different. For you, I would imagine, though, just like with us, like we didn't go into it expecting that this is what was going to happen. We didn't go into it feeling immediately prepared or equipped, and I'm sure you didn't either. Maybe you still don't feel that way. I am so excited to talk to Roland Warren today because he's going to equip us. He is going to share some wisdom, and this man has some. He is currently serving as the CEO of CareNet, one of the largest crisis pregnancy centers in North America, and he previously spent 11 years as president of the National Fatherhood Initiative. He graduated from Princeton and the Wharton School of Business at University of Pennsylvania. He is a very impressive dude. (laughs) He 
he's written a book. He's written a book that is called Raising Sons of Promise, and it's a guide for single mothers of boys. And so if you fall into that camp for one reason or another, oh, this one is for you. Well, Roland, I'm so grateful that you're hanging out with us today. Now, I got to tell you, when I heard about this book, I was excited. I was excited about the idea of reading a book that was targeted to single mothers of boys. I think that's such an important topic. I was surprised to see that it was written by a man, if I can be honest. So <laughs> so why write a book on motherhood? Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, because part of it was really, it was uh, somewhat therapeutic for me, um, you know, just processing uh, how I how I grew up and, and sort of the impact of growing up in a uh, father absent home and, and just the interplay between that and, and how I was raised by my mom. And um, so, uh, you know, from that perspective, you know, you know, God sort of had me on a couch for a little bit, just kind of working through some things. But I also, I just, you know, I have a heart for single moms, having uh, grown up in a single mother home uh, and having many family members uh, be single moms. My, my sister spent a large chunk of her time as a single mom. All, nearly all of my aunts were single mothers. Um, so it's, it's been one of those, those things that's just sort of been around me quite a bit. And then I spent about uh, 12 years uh, working as president of national fatherhood initiative, which really was focused on helping men be better dads. And, uh, a big part of that was really dealing with the father absence crisis of, you know, kids growing up without dads, which means you have single mom homes in that. So, um, so it's really just been one of these issues that, um, has been an important issue for me personally, but then also. When I think about it culturally, uh, it's important as well. And then also, candidly, I you know I, I feel like the way that this book was written, it's unique um, in terms of how it deals with the issue because um, the objective is to try to help her, the single mom, understand what her son would tell her at ten years old if he had the ability to do it. Uh, and I, and I think that that, you know, and I think for a lot of moms in general, I mean, boys can be a bit of a, a mystery. I mean, they were never boys, they were girls, you know, that kind of a thing. And so, um, that's an important thing. I think the last thing I'd say about that is, you know, it's just sort of an observational thing that if you're a single mom, you know, with your son, I mean, you're on the same path, but you're not on the same journey. Uh, and that distinction is pretty significant because if you and I were heading someplace and we're walking on the same path and then we get to that destination, and someone was to pull us aside and say, okay, so Rowan, what did you see? You know, and I explained it and they asked you, what did you see? Uh, even though we were on the same path, we would see very different things. Our perspectives would be very different. How we're processing what's around us, how it's impacting us is very different. And I think that, you know, sometimes I think when you're in the single mom mode, your focus can be like the life that he, I'm living is the life that he's living. So how I'm interpreting these things is how he's interpreting these things. Uh, but the reality is, that's not the way that it works. He's got a different journey. There's a point where you and he sort of go in a different direction in terms of him becoming a man and you obviously keep, keep on that path. So, so I just think that there's a real need for, uh, for that uh, discussion uh, to, to, to happen uh, in the public square. And I just thought, you know, it's kind of a, what God gave me as a, as a perspective. I think it's endlessly beautiful and refreshing, to be honest, because so this podcast title, No Seriously, How Do I Do This? Every once in a while, I get a chance to interview someone that I'm like, well, that is exactly the answer to that question. Or, or okay, if we're playing 
what is, Jeopardy. That's the show. If we're playing Jeopardy and they're yeah. just like, uh, no, seriously, how do I do this? What is raising boys as a single mom? <laughs> you know, I just yeah, I feel like yeah. it's just the perfect fit for that. And I got to tell you, I, I don't have a similar journey to the one that your mom had or that a lot of women have. You mentioned, and I find this awesome, you mentioned, look, it, it doesn't matter how you got here. Chances are yeah. you probably didn't expect to be here. And maybe the right. father was never there. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's death. Maybe it's just sheer abandonment, et cetera. For me, it, it, like I said, it's different. But my husband is deployed. He's a soldier. Yeah. And he's deployed mm-hmm. for a long time. And I have a son. I have mostly girls, but I have one son. And luckily, he's he little. He's a little guy. He's a toddler. But already <laughs> yeah. that question, that burden enters into my soul. It's like, what does he need from me that is different? than what my mm-hmm. girls need from me and how can I meet those needs? And yeah. so I would say growing up as a child of a single mom, Roland, what did you notice? What did you see? What did you need from her? And mm-hmm. honestly, how'd she do? <laughs> well, you know, I think my story, it's sort of a mixed, it's sort of a mixed bag story because in a lot of ways, um, you know, it was that my mom had some some challenges uh, in that. I mean, my, you know, one of the things I talk about quite a bit, just in in terms of the way the book is actually written and framed, that the first part of the book is actually about her. It's like her journey. Because what I essentially do is I, I use the story of Hagar and Ishmael. For those who aren't familiar with that story, Hagar is 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 the woman that you know Abraham Ham, you know, basically took as his kind of surrogate wife, if you will in order to have a son. You know, God had promised him that he would have a son, uh, excuse me, that he would have an heir, which is likely to be a son. And he got a little patient waiting on God's plan. And so Sarah, his wife, came to him and said, hey, I got a plan, how about this? And basically it seems weird in our context, but it was essentially a surrogate kind of structure today. We would just kind of do it a different way, right? Where someone would carry the child, but back then they did it the old fashioned way. And so she became a surrogate and was bringing uh, and then brought this this child into the, the world, Ishmael, uh, which was which was Abraham's first son. And um, and you know that story and what happened with Hagar and Ishmael and th- that whole notion was very connected to, in many ways, how I grew up. Because essentially, um, when I was writing a, a book before this called Bad Dads of the uh, Bad Dads of the Bible, Eight Mistakes Every Good Dad Can af- uh, Can Avoid. Um, that was really focused on trying to help men be better dads and really looking at uh, characters in scripture, men in scripture, uh, specifically through the lens of fatherhood. And the most difficult story that I had to write was the one about Abraham, uh, because his bad dad mistake was abandoning his child. And so as I was writing that, I realized in that in that moment that I am Ishmael, kind of playing off the old Moby Dick, a sort of their famous line that I am Ishmael, that I had a, cert- a similar kind of dynamic where you know my dad was gone got remarried and you know that kind of thing and, and, and that impacted us but i also realized that my mom in, in in a lot of ways was was hagar because the basic principle here is a man made a promise to you and he didn't keep it a man made a promise to your son and he didn't keep it and the whole dynamic that you see in that story of hagar and ishmael is is a very it's an old ancient story with a very contemporary um, sort of framing to it. You've got everything, but baby mama drama with her and Sarah. I mean, you've got all the dynamics there. <laughs> and so um, I, 
it, it that helped me because when I look at my mom's life, uh, you know, she had a lot of loss in her life. Lost her mother when she was eight years old. Got got pregnant when when she was sixteen, seventeen with my my older brother. Uh, had me when she was nineteen or so. By the time she was twenty three, she had four kids uh, under the age of eight. Uh, they got married uh, during that time, and then things started to happen. And my frankly, my dad was gone and doing whatever guys do in that context. And then she was sort of abandoned by by my father in that context. And then when I was eight and my older brother was 10, he drowned while we were on vacation. Oh and, uh, and so there was another loss. And it was hard for me. Like I, didn't, I was living all that. But as I started to look back on my mom's life, it was a lot of loss, a lot of, in her mind, promises that just weren't kept. And I think it had an impact on her emotionally. You know, I feel like she sort of shut down emotionally because when you have all this loss, it can be difficult for you to connect. And so I think that in a lot of ways that sort of framed her life in some ways and framed her parenting. Mm. So when you ask me, <laughs> what do I wish for in terms of my relationship with my mom? A lot of it, frankly, has to do with, with I would say, probably more emotional intimacy. And, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying that in a critical sense, but I understand that the single mom dynamic can put you in that mold where it's just about day to day getting stuff done, Right. Whereas when you have a dad there, you know, you have that, you have that other parent, right, that's balancing that off. Um, it's different, you know, obviously with deployment, there's some other issues there, but obviously he's in the picture in a sense, but in, in my context, he, he really wasn't. And so, you know, a good parenting, you provide, you nurture and you guide. And I, and I, and I think that the nurturing piece uh, can be a real challenge, you know, when you're in a single mother context and, and you're, you're kind of focused on, I got to basically bring the food in. I got to do this. I got all these, I have all these tasks that need to get done. That emotional connection sometimes can, cannot be there. And I think that uh, folks often don't think that boys really need that as much, mm-hmm. but they actually do physical touch um, and, and words of affirmation, all that stuff are really critical. And if boys don't get that, then, you know, it can, it can really uh, create some problems anyway. So that's, that's, Kind of why I, you know, from my standpoint, you know, really wanted to write this book because I think there are lessons that people can learn from this dynamic and there are um, things that you can do to help sort of mitigate some of the things at least I saw in in my context. And I try to uh, spend time kind of walking through that in the first part of the book when when you're talking about uh, Hagar and her journey uh, before I get into uh, Ishmael's journey. Well, I think it's so interesting what you're sharing about your mom, because it sounds like there's so much that went into that dynamic. You know, it, was, it wasn't just the how do I manage a household by myself and certain things are going to have to give. But like you mentioned, that loss that pervaded her mm-hmm. life. You know, there are cultures that I've read about where the life expectancy of children is it's so hit or miss. A lot of children mm-hmm. die before the age of five. And so these parents, these moms, especially without meaning to, they just hold off bonding with their children until their children are five mm-hmm. because they're afraid that they're going to lose them. And right. I can only imagine how that may have entered her subconscious having experienced so much loss and that pain. It's like, well, maybe yeah. if I withhold a little, it'll hurt less if I lose them. What would you say in observing your mom that she did right, that she did really well by you? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because my mom did obviously a lot of things right. And, and I think that the big thing for her is that in a sense, sort of casting a vision for me to kind of change the circumstances, you know, that we were living in. I mean, she worked very, very hard. I mean, we, 
we, particularly once my dad left, we were in a pretty decent neighborhood. And then once once uh, she left my dad when I was uh, like six or seven years old, uh, then we moved into a, a one story uh, apartment in the hood, basically. And my mom worked like crazy to get us out of that environment. And that was a lifesaver for me. Uh, absolutely. Because I, I, I've gone back to that old neighborhood <laughs> to look at what happened there. And it just it's it really saved me from from so much. And there was always this expectation of, you know, really trying to do your best academically and, and in, in those ways, um, you know, certainly uh, modeling, you know, hard work and how important that is in terms of and, and, and I think even you know, as, as a as a black boy growing up, you know, I always had the perspective that I could accomplish whatever I set my mind to. My mother never let any of those types of, you know, uh, any barriers in that context shape what my expectation uh, should be or what expectations that I should have for myself. So in a lot of ways, you know, it's one of the chapters I write for, for sons, this whole notion about the power of the power of purpose and how boys need to have a purpose. You know, they want to have a purpose. They desire to have a purpose. And there are purpose stealers out there. There are things that he's going to deal with in, in male culture that will try to give him a different purpose, one that's not consistent with, you know, God's design, uh, or not one, one that's not consistent with you know, really being the kind of man that God would call him to be. He can either be sort of a provider and a protector in that context, or he can be a predator and a perpetrator. And so those purposes are out there in the public square. And I think a single mom has a very important role to play in terms of helping her son navigate that culture that's out there, male culture, that can seek to drive, take us to a place that's not really a good place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the things you talk about is in order for a mom to be truly effective in that area, there are areas of healing that she needs to address in herself. Right. You say the three main areas are loss, forgiveness, and expectations. Can you talk a little bit yes. more about that? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, this, this is really, in a lot of ways, it's sort of healing your inner Hagar. And if you look at that, if you look at that story, you know, when you have uh, a guy who makes a promise and then doesn't keep it, you know, um, there's healing that comes from that. And rejection, I also talk a lot about like her, her relationship with her own father and how that actually impacts um, your parenting because there's things that happen there. There are a lot of young young women that have a father who so when you see that guy leave, it's reminding you of something uh, that maybe that you had before. I know with my mom, that was one of the things that happened when her mom died, her father immediately found another wife. Like I got remarried in less than a year. And I remember talking to my mother about that and how she felt in her context at that time as a child sort of abandoned her. But the reality was that my grandfather had five daughters <laughs> and this was in the fifties. And I could absolutely see my grandmother saying to him, those girls need a mother. And mm-hmm. so as a way to honor my grandmother, he immediately went out to say, I've got to find a mother for my daughters. But as a child, this is why I talk about being on the same path, but different journey. So he's processing through this context of I'm honoring my, my wife, you know, that that's passed because I need to find a mother for, for my daughters. Right. But my, my mother processing the exact same, very differently, Mm -hmm. you know, so that piece is really, you know, a big part of it. And then the other piece is this whole forgiveness piece. You know, the reality is that, you know, unforgiveness is a bitter root that yields a bitter fruit. And one of the things that we are challenged to do as Christians is forgive. And that can be one of the most difficult things to do. So one of the chapters is on forgiving your Abraham, if you will, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, the guy who made a promise and didn't keep it, made a promise to you, made a promise to your son, 
didn't keep that and the whole process of working through that. And then the last thing is really having like really appropriate expectations, as, as you said. The biggest conflict that we find in life is, is when we have unfulfilled, unspoken, unmet expectations. And you might have some expectations in terms of what was going to happen in your life that didn't get fulfilled, but they weren't articulating. You might even have some expectations for your son, and son uh, in terms of how he's going to process, for example, the absence of his father and things of that nature. So we spend a lot of time uh, focusing on that. And then you know, kind of the one, the last chapter for her is really, um, what if Abraham returns? And it's basically the story of the prodigal father. So I take the story of the prodigal son and I kind of flip the, flip the, the, the narrative a bit so that, you know, the, the father is the one who's the prodigal out kind of living this riotous life, if you will. And the son is the one looking over the horizon, hoping and praying for the father to come back. And that in that context, that would leave the mom as the older brother who's been doing the right thing all along, right? Yeah. And, and um, so it's just an interesting, when you look at that story and you, and, and then the question becomes, if you look at how the older brother responded, you know, that's really a challenge for us in scripture. And so that we have some discussion there about as a mom, like thinking about this whole notion of being, you know, how, how do you deal with that? What if he returns? Because uh, the reality is that even though you may be done with him, your son never can be. He's bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And, um, you know, I tell people often that kids have a hole in their soul in the shape of their dad. And if a father is unable or unwilling to fill that hole, it can leave a wound that's not easily healed. And I say that from the perspective of, of a wounded, as, a, as, as someone with a, you know, sort of a wounded soul. So um, really helping your son process that loss. And if he returns, all that, that kind of stuff, it's, it's some challenging stuff to negotiate on a lot of different levels. But, you know, I've seen uh, single moms be able to do this and certainly from my perspective. Is, is to kind of take what I've learned over the years, uh, both with National Father Initiative, my own personal experience as well, and then being a father myself and that dynamic, uh, working through these things, hopefully be helpful uh, for, for moms uh, who, who are going through this, through this process. You talk about sons that were wounded. So what about that son who's struggling with loss and forgiveness and expectations? It's as a mom, you know, I've got to deal with that. But if I see yeah. that anger and resentment rising up in my children, how do I help? Well, the first thing is, honestly, the first thing is just to acknowledge it. The tendency can be to not even really want to go there. You know, a lot of times, you know, people will think about fathers as like pegs on a pegboard, right? So you get rid of that peg. Now we don't have to deal with the peg. Well, now you have to deal with the hole, mm. <laughs> right? So, right. So you have to be able to negotiate presence or absence, right? Whether he's there, then you learn that. If you grew up with your dad, right? Then you learn about how to negotiate life with your dad. But if you grow up without your dad, it's not like you don't have to deal with anything. Now you have to deal with negotiating life without your dad. So a lot of this really is having that conversation and going there. And I think sometimes the temptation can be not to go there because in some ways, either it, it'll make you feel somehow insufficient, right? But I always encourage single moms to don't be upset that you're not something that you're not designed to be. So I always have a problem with these holiday cards, uh, the, the Father's Day cards. That this is a Father's Day card for mothers. I'm like, no, mothers are not fathers. They're mothers. That puts such a burden on them. That's an inappropriate burden for them. No, you're a good mother. That, that's what you're called to be, a good mother. And then help your son, right, move through that process. And a lot of this also has to do about, you know, when you start to cast a vision for what you want him to be. You know, the last time you hear about Hagar is that you hear that she found a wife 
for Ishmael. And what that really told me, and it's really one of the things that really inspired me on this, she had a vision for her son, not just to be a good man, but also to be a good husband and father. And so I always ask single mothers, I'd like, you know, not just what kind of man is your son going to be, but what kind of husband, if, you know, if he has that opportunity, what kind of father is he going to be? And it's not a, real, a question that people are often asked. And, and, and sometimes when I ask the question, well, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> when the blood comes back to their face, they're like, oh, he's going to be a good one. And I say, well, how is he going to be a good one? Well, I'm going to teach him how to be a good one. No, you're going to teach him how to be a good single mother, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what he's not going to be. And the reality is the better job you do as a single mother often can teach him that he doesn't need to be there, not that he does. Mm-hmm. So it really takes a, a bit of humility and insight to say, oh, wait a minute. If I don't want to replicate this cycle, in other words, I don't want to create a son who then creates a single mother home. At, for my grandchildren, then that means I'm going to have to have a different perspective with him in terms of this. And I'm going to have to go be transparent, go into these places and say, listen, th- this is not what I want you to be. You know, I get this is how you're living, but this is not what I want you to be. I want you to be a different kind of man than, than, than what was modeled for you, absence or all those things. And in order to do that, you have to be intentional. So this is all goes into the, all the expectation stuff and things of that nature. And as you're kind of dealing with this, in terms of the prodigal father, all that stuff, helping your son move to a process where, where he has to eventually, you know, move to a place where he can uh, forgive his father. And that can be a challenging thing. But as a mom, you can help guide your son uh, through that process. I got to tell you, it blew my mind a little bit with that when you're like, when you do this too well, you might be, <laughs> you know, making him think like, yeah, Oh, I, I could see this. Yeah, the father isn't really necessary. Look how good my mom is doing. And but it starts with having that conversation. And I think part of it is, you know, we don't we don't know how to have that conversation. But I think as moms, there's that nurturing part in us that we want to protect our kids from pain. Yeah. And especially if they're younger, when dad leaves, et cetera, we're like, well, maybe if I bring this up, it's going to reignite the pain that they felt. And I just want to protect them. Maybe they're fine. And this is just going to make it worse. And we're afraid to have those conversations because we feel like we're protecting them for something. But you're saying, no, it's absolutely necessary to be open and honest with your child about the circumstance so that they stand any chance of breaking the cycle in the future. Yeah. And it's, it's age appropriate, you know, that kind of a thing. But look, he's got that longing. At some point, he's going to say, what does it mean to be a man? And and when when boys do that, they don't look to moms. They look outside, right? They look to someplace else. And if you haven't helped him process this, he still has that longing to make that connection. That's the reason why gangs and all these other destructive things are so are so important. You know, and I've talked to boys who are part of gangs, and and what they typically say is, look, they're connecting with me. They're feeling this hole that I have. You know, this longing. If you don't address it, then there's an imitation thing that will happen. And if you're not proactive, then you'll let someone who is not a good influence be the one who's stepping in, framing what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, those kinds of things for him. And it may not be, may not be a, a guy who's constructive, but rather destructive. One of the concepts I talk about um, for sons is really finding what I call double duty dads, right? It's difficult to be what you don't see. So casting a vision for him. Finding guys who are within your circle of influence 
who can then be a mentor for your son, but not just a mentor to be a good man, which is how a lot of mentoring programs work, but also a, a mentor in terms of he's a good father and a good husband. And when he's mentoring, saying, this is what I do as a father. Watch this kind of thing. This is what I do as a husband. I mean, if you want your son to be a rocket scientist or an MBA star, what do you do? Well, I get my kid around somebody who's into science, <laughs> you know, and STEM and all that stuff. And, and if I want to be a bad, well, I get him with a coach who's good. Well, if you want him to be a good husband and a good father, well, what do you think you should do? Well, you should find guys who are good husbands and good fathers. And you don't have to look far and wide necessarily, your own circle of influence and just encourage that guy to kind of include your son in that context. And, and I learned that, you know, early on when I was, when I was fathering, uh, my, my younger son in particular spent a lot of time playing sports and he had these young men who were always coming over to the house. And, you know, my, we had two sons and my, my wife is a boy's mother, <laughs> you know, she just <laughs> loves boys, loves to cook for him. She, she really is. And, and I remember one time I had gotten flowers for my wife and I brought him in, I put him out there, whatever. And, and one of the, one of the guys, he said to me, okay, Mr. Warren, I see your hustle. I see your hustle. I'm like, well, what are you talking about my hustle? He said, I, I see what you're doing, Mr. Walker. Okay, I see the flowers. I see what you're doing. And I realized, oh my gosh, they're watching me. Now, what I hadn't even processed at that time was every single one of those guys who were spending a lot of time at my house were growing up without their fathers. Mm. They were watching me as a husband and as a father. And guess what? Every single one of those guys now is now married. I'm still connected to them. And it's been such uh, a blessing to see them now as husbands and fathers, every single one of them. And they were watching me uh, in my relationship with my wife. They were watching me in my relationship uh, in my relationship with my sons. I remember one last story on that. I remember one of the guys, uh, we were late for a, a football game my son was going to. And uh, my, front, my son was annoyed and everything. He's calling to the car because I calling from the car. Come on, dad. Come on, dad. And one of his friends just turned to him and said, listen. You know, I've never been able to call for my father. Never been able to call for my father. My son told me that later and it helped him have a perspective about having a dad. They're watching. So make sure that they're watching guys who are good guys. What about the guys you're dating? It's the same kind of thing. Are you dating the kind of men that you want your son to become? Mm. Women marry the kind of man that they want their son to become, at least initially, right? <laughs> like no one comes to the altar and says, hell, I'm marrying this guy. Huh, hope we have a son. He's not like this guy. I mean, no one says that. But is that how you think about dating as a single mom? Or do you compartmentalize your dating life over here and your parenting life over there? Well, guess mm -hmm. what? Your son is watching the guys that you date. And if he loves you like, I mean, you're, you're the most important woman in his life. So if he thinks that's what's acceptable to you, why would he not think that's what he should be? And those were all the things that I observed. I observed my mom's dating life. I, observed, I learned lessons, some good and some not so good through that process. I don't think that she knew I was learning as much as I was by watching the, her dating life. That is just so, so much pressure. To be honest, when you think about it, like I think as a parent in general, that realization that comes that your kid is watching you. I mean, it yeah. may be the first time your kid says a word. You're like, where'd you hear that? And you're like, oh, that's probably, <laughs> you know, it's like, like oh, geez. I, I remember that time when that yeah. realization dawned on me and all of a sudden, like my anxiety rises, I'm, I'm looking around my life and I'm trying to make sure I'm setting a good example. But to think that it's kids outside of our home that are watching us too. Yes. It's such a good point. Now, what about for that mom that was like, well, I, I'd love to have those examples, but I got to tell you. I don't even know 
how to have that conversation. Excuse me, would you mind if my son follows you around to see how to be a good man? I mean, do you have any recommendations? Well, you look, I, you know, I think for myself, one of the one of the, even though I grew up in a single mother home, um, it, you know, one of the blessings was I went to church and I saw at church men who were being husbands and fathers. And a little, little part of my story, which is in this book, but you know, when I got, was in college, I got my girlfriend pregnant. Um, when I was uh, 20, she was 19. We were both undergrads at Princeton, got pregnant. Um, and uh, she was encouraged to abort. We ended up not aborting. We got married and had our, had our son. We've been married 40 years in May. And the thing was, when she got pregnant, uh, and we got pregnant rather, the thought of me being a baby daddy like being a father without being a husband just did not commute, compute for me. I, like I couldn't even process that in my brain. Now, think about that for a second. I grew up in an environment where that was the norm. How was that? How did that not? Well, it didn't process because I went to church. And in church, I saw men being husbands and being fathers. And it cast a vision for me. So that when I was in that situation, you know, God used that to help me move uh, to the path, path to be a husband and a father. So, you know, it really, I always tell moms in this context, look, it's really not that complicated. Go take a sheet of paper, write down guys who you, you've been watching. Say, man, he's a good, looks like a good husband, good father. He can be a guy in your own family, a brother, an uncle, look at that kind of thing and say, now I'm going to be intentional about trying to build those relationships. And and, and for the guy, you don't have to put pressure on him saying, listen, all I want you to do is just include my son in some of the other things that you're doing with your own sons and daughters. Like, just include him, right? And just you have those intentional conversations. He's, and he'll, and like those guys who are watching me with the flowers, he will be watching you. He will be watching you. And years later, he, he will have, that, he will have that, that image that you cast there for him, uh, help him move into the promise that God's called him to be. So. I just, I want to ask another question when it comes to the forgiveness area of healing for these moms, because I, I don't share that experience personally, but mm-hmm. I can imagine and I can try to put myself in those shoes and I understand the anger toward the father, but I yeah. can also comprehend anger toward myself for maybe choosing that man or, or whatever led to the absence and anger toward God for letting this happen in the life that I've been called to lead. And how would you advise for that woman who is struggling, honestly, maybe more in those areas than even anger mm-hmm. toward the father? Well, you know, we as a Christian, certainly that we, you know, we've been forgiven. And certainly if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, then part of that is forgiving your neighbor as yourself, which means you have to have forgiveness for, your, for yourself in the context uh, that that God is forgiving you because if look if you are unwilling to forgive yourself and God's willing to forgive you it actually means that you're God and God's not because mm. because mm-hmm. it, it means that that your own personal forgiveness is more important than the forgiveness of Christ in other words you've made an idol out of yourself so when you say oh my gosh well God's willing to forgive me and I'm not willing to forgive me then who's superior <laughs> I am so. Really, it's it's freeing when you say, "Well, God has forgiven me. He's forgiven me for these things. I said all those things at the feet of the cross, and God forgives me." Well, then I certainly have to forgive myself. Now, in a Christian context, you know, Christ's call was, "Come as you are, but don't stay as you came. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind." So, you know, you you don't want to 
keep in that same cycle of things, right? That you that you've been been living, right? I think the first piece is really um, understanding that you have forgiveness that comes from God, and then when you have that forgiveness that comes from God, certainly you can forgive yourself, and then then that's the dance. That's one thing I talk about: this dance of forgiveness that you have to do for others, and it is a difficult, difficult process. But unforgiveness is corrosive; it just eats everything, and it destroys relationships. Which is why in Scripture there's so much times, <laughs> so much conversation, so much from Christ around this whole notion about about forgiveness. And there's, I guess, an old saying that you know when you forgive someone, you set the captive free, and you have the realization that the captive was you. Because as long as you are walking in unforgiveness, whoever you won't unforgive actually controls you. You're actually in a cage of your own creation that you have the key to, and you've locked yourself inside of it. Um, and, and, it and it's destructive. And I think also, I think for your, for your son, helping him process that. I, I used to do a lot of work with guys in prison in National Fatherhood Initiative. And you know, so many guys uh, that are incarcerated grew up without dads and have tremendous, tremendous anger and unforgiveness uh, towards their fathers. And it, I understand it because you have that deep sense of abandonment. But the reality is it's caused a corrosiveness in their nature and their behavior and led them down a path. And also, when you have unforgiveness, you're easily led and you're easily misled. And that's the other thing, too. So if, if there's somebody who you haven't forgiven and somebody tells you that that person did something, you're of course they did that bad thing or whatever. Why? Because you have unforgiveness, which means you're easily led and easily misled. And and I want to make one clarification here that's good. Forgiving that father does not necessarily mean that you give him full access to your son and all that kind of thing. That that's a separate conversation, right? That that you're having. I mean, there's repentance on his side that's needed. You know, particularly if, if there's been domestic violence or some kind of safety issue. So you still have a responsibility. But I think we do really, really be prayerful about, am I supposed to be a gatekeeper or a gateway? And if you have unforgiveness, you're always going to be a gatekeeper, even if the other person has repented, as opposed to what God wants us to do in that context is to look for opportunities to be a gateway, to be a reconciler of the relationship, because our God is a God of reconciliation. So we're called to do that. Well, what would you say to the person listening? He's like, well, that's all nice and good, but God's the one I'm mad at. Like he let me go through all of this. When I hear your mom's story and all the loss she endured, I'm wondering like, oh, yeah. I wonder how she felt about God in those times. What about to that woman who's like, well, that's where my biggest wound is right now, my greatest area of mistrust. That's the universal challenge of all mankind, right? Because we don't understand God's ways and the plans. But I can tell you, I can tell you this, maybe a hopeful piece of this. I struggled for years, you know, with like why I didn't have my dad and watching other other people have that experience. But here's what I can I can see from that. And God's really helped help me to see this. You know, in Ephesians it talks about forgetting what is behind and pressing forward, right? And moving forward uh, for what's ahead, for that promise that God has been. God has used my story to help so many other people. So many other people, so many other families. I have people coming up to me you know, I did a number of Oprah shows over the years, people coming up to me at different places and say, I heard your story and that helped me change this. I look at those guys who were young fatherless boys who God, because I had that experience, I had a sensitivity to help them become husbands and fathers and break the cycle. God, the way that he uses our pain, we don't always understand. But, you know, my view is, well, Lord, if that's what you needed to let happen or allow to have happen, 
um, so that so that it's for you know your glory and the good of so many. I mean, that's what Christ did. I mean, you think about it. The pain of Christ is what led to our salvation. By his stripes, we're healed. So when we're in this context where we're dealing with pain that, that God allows in our lives, he doesn't waste that. We can waste it by not putting it at the feet of the cross and saying, God, whatever that is, I know you're going to work through this for your good, uh, for, for my good and for your glory. And that takes, you know, a bit of insight to be able to get there and you don't get there right away. But I can tell you this, having unforgiveness towards God and man never ends well. That much we know <laughs> for sure. And there are, and, and history is littered um, with, with examples of the destruction that comes from that. So my perspective is I want to stand on the word, even though I don't understand the circumstances and the context uh, of any of this. Um, in terms of how God's going to use these things, I have the confidence that God will use them for his glory and, and, and for my good. And I, looking back, and I'm 60 years old, looking back, I'm going, oh my gosh, thank you for giving me that perspective, that pain even, in, in a sense, because it's helped me help others. Yes, it absolutely has. And, and I love, Ronald, I know that you are currently the CEO of CareNet, if I'm mm -hmm. correct in that. And CareNet is an organization that does a lot of good work out where I am. I've done some work with them. And and what I, yeah. I love about books like this is these are tools that allow us to be pro-life beyond birth, that allow us yeah. to help assure a quality of life. And I just, I thank you for writing this book. I thank you for sharing your story and for being so open as to share it here with us today. One of the beautiful things about the promise of Christ is that however rough our start, wherever we found ourselves, we don't have to stay there. He offers us a second chance. And that pertains both to the sins of our own life that have gotten us stuck and the sins of others that have gotten us stuck in that place. There is hope and there is help. And so whether you are a single mom raising sons or you are a son being raised by a single mom, or you are a father who previously left and is feeling the burden and shame of that decision, or wherever you find yourself on the spectrum of a participant or a supporter, there is help, there is hope, there is promise. In fact, Roland's book, Raising Sons of Promise, I'm gonna be giving some copies away. And so if you are someone who feels like, yeah, I really could benefit from this. I think there's a lot that I could learn and glean from Roland's experience. Will you email me? Summer at seriouslyhow.com. And if you just want to talk, I'm here for that too. Or you can find us on Facebook. Just search for No Seriously, How Do I Do This? If you haven't already subscribed for the podcast, I would ask that you do that and leave us a review because it helps other people find it as well we exist. We exist to encourage you in your walk, to connect you to others who might be able to help in areas that you feel you're falling short, but really to remind you that none of us have this figured out because sometimes that's the encouragement that we need. And so I want you to hear this. As always, you are loved and you are not alone.